0: i uh-huh. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper for our first episode of the finals, a recap for the finals, and of course the semifinals of Euro 2020 have just concluded, so we're going to be tackling all three of those. If you didn't check out my Euro 2020 video with my boy Jack, please go check it out, especially because England have just made it to the final, so everything in that video still stands to hear about the experience over there right now. Or just, you know, we talked about crowds and the differences between American and English atmospheres and all this different type of stuff. And so, yeah, go check that out. Go check it out. It's just great because, you know, part of the part of my goal of this channel was to have it, you know, multi multicultural and to be as diverse as possible and not just uh, American basketball podcast, because that's never what I intended it to be. There's a reason why it's I mean, Dime Dropper is definitely a basketball name, but You know, basketball is more the umbrella topic as opposed to the sole focus. At least in the beginning, we've had it as our sole focus. But as you see, we're going to start to expand. Let's talk about the game starting with the Suns and the Bucks, being that this is still a basketball first show. I'm going to talk about the first game of the finals. So I just want to say, and before I say these things, I know a lot of people are going to hate what I'm about to say that are pro-Phoenix or pro-Milwaukee. But man... These might just be the two worst teams to play in a finals. And I'm not saying they're bad teams. I just think that they're... I'd say the Suns are a really good team. The Bucks are a very good team. You can make a case the Suns are a great team. I mean, they're a great team for today's league for sure. But as t- in terms of looking in the grand scope of all the champions that I've seen and the history of the game, the Suns, man, they're very good. That doesn't diminish the ring, though. I want to just clarify this. That does not diminish the ring. This is just an observation. You know what I'm saying? Like, their best players, we don't know who their best player is. It's either Devin Booker or Chris Paul. And obviously, you know me, I'm on the Devin Booker train, As a, even though Chris Paul's my favorite player. Um, favorite current basketball player in the league. Either him or probably Paul George. But, um, you know, or te- I'm sorry, either him or Terrence Mann. But um, I'd probably say Chris is still my favorite player in the league, if we're being honest, and Blake Griffin. Those two probably still claim the top spot. But Paul George and Terrence Mann are right there. But anyway, to say what I was going to say is I think Book's the best player, but you can literally sit here and argue with me all day. But I just think that Chris Paul or Devin Booker being your best player, eh, your team is not that amazing, personally. I think they're a very good team, but I don't think they're not amazing. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, they would have lost to this team and that if they were, you know, that's not important. They made the finals and everyone else didn't. So let's talk about the game. So obviously, it, it, it definitely felt weird me watching this game, you know, smaller market teams. Now, Phoenix is a nice city, a big city, but two smaller market teams, Milwaukee and Phoenix, in the finals. This is the first time since 2007 that we've had a two smaller market teams with San Antonio and Cleveland. Every single final since then has either featured a California team or the Miami Heat. So to have two smaller market teams that are, is not a big focus of the league is awesome, honestly. I love that. And then I think... The Obviously, the Suns crowd, I'm very happy for the Suns fans. I mean, they host the finals, uh, home court advantage. Obviously, 1993, they had it as well, but they weren't necessarily a clear-cut favorite. I'd say, actually, they're not really a clear-cut favorite this time around, but I think that they're more favored obviously, than they were in 93 with Jordan. And uh, what's it called? Yeah, with Jordan. It's a different animal. You know, Giannis, that's not Michael Jordan. So what I thought was, I thought Devin Booker did a really good job setting the tone. Uh, And clearly the Suns had a strategy. And it was put Brook Lopez in the pick and roll and go at him one-on-one when he switches. Because the Bucs were going to switch everything. And we've seen a lot of this against the Nets. We saw it. We saw it against the Atlanta Hawks at times. They're going to switch Brook Lopez onto these guards. And against Devin Booker and Chris Paul, that's not going to work. Devin Booker was taking him. Uh, early in the game, he had a good first quarter, but I thought that Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, they came out pretty aggressive, and the in the first half, I was watching this game, and I was like, this is pretty even, but the Suns were riding off that home crowd, and I, I thought they were the slightly better team in the first half, they were leading by 8 at the half, I thought that Aiton was typical Aiton. He was grabbing every rebound in sight. He was, you know, I think they could have fed him more as always. I say that all the time because, like, there are switches in these games that are happening and the Suns are not hitting quick enough in my eyes. Not in my eyes. I know for a fact. But, you know, in today's NBA, they neglect the post-up switch sometimes, and I disagree with that completely, especially when you have a skilled big like Aiton. But they were able to get away with it on some possessions by having Booker or somebody go at Brook Lopez I'm just going with something else. But I still think that Aiden could have been fed more. That being said, he was really good. 8 of 10, 22 points, and 19 rebounds. That's a straight Charles Barkley-like stat line right there. So I thought he was great. And then in the beginning, Chris started out poorly. And then in the second quarter, and especially the third quarter, he exploded. And CP's been waiting for this moment. I know very well he's been waiting for this moment his whole life, but definitely his whole career And I think, and I've been saying this for a long time, Chris is the most hungry star for a championship in this league. He hasn't gotten one. I know, I remember, I mean, I had him on my team day in, day out. I know how competitive he is. And his wife said it best, Uh, Mrs. Jada. Said that if he doesn't win a championship, like, he will not live it down. Like, he will live with problems if he doesn't win. And this is not, there's never going to be a better chance for him than this. And I thought that he came out, and here's the thing about Chris. He is not going to get by anybody besides those finding a big man on the switch. You know what I'm saying? That's all he does is he finds the big man on a switch like he did Boogie Cousins against us, and he goes at them because he's not quick enough off the dribble to consistently take various either guard defenders or wing defenders. And it was only he was scoring. I want to count. You have to go back and count how many points out of those. Uh, out of those 32 that he scored in game one, were, on, were with Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis guarding him. Because then they switched with Bobby Portis guarding him, and he was just playing a little too high, reaching. You don't reach with Chris Paul. And that's one thing about Chris. He's one of the best ever in terms of uh, ball protection, you know, taking care of the ball not losing the ball cheaply. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Suns are going to win the championship because I've been saying it for, for weeks now, months. The Suns may be the sm- – actually, no, they're not maybe. They are – the smartest team in the NBA. They make the least amount of errors. They take mid-range shots. They don't fall too in love with the three at times. They have a good post-up big man. And I just think that the Suns make the least amount of boneheaded decisions in the NBA. And I think that watching the Bucs, you see too many of them for them to win a championship. And I think that Giannis, here's the thing. He clearly wasn't 100%. I give him credit for going out there and trying. But that dude, whether he's injured or not, seriously just doesn't have the skills. He does the same thing every time he runs full speed and either tries to sidestep to his right or Euro to his left and try to go up. It's so predictable. You know, there was one play in the beginning of the game where he hit a turnaround. And I looked at my friend. I was like, if he can hit that. And he goes, if he is that, that went in the championship. Our good friend, Ocean's wave who we had on the how Kobe Bryant's Lakers lost two finals episode. So if you are interested in Laker stuff, or Kobe, or any of that, or basketball history, go check that episode out. We're going to be following up with it right after this finals with how Kobe Bryant's Lakers won back-to-back chips. But in, I was watching the game with him, and he was saying if Giannis can hit that turnaround, they're going to win the chip. Problem with Giannis is those moves are a dime a dozen. He doesn't hit any mid-ranges with consistency. His free throws are a problem, and he's just far... I just don't think he has the skill to be the best, to best player on a championship team, quite frankly. And I could be wrong about this, just like, I've, just like I said many times, the Suns aren't going to win the championship this year, and now they're in the finals. But obviously, if you would have told me that Kawhi is going to miss, AD is going to miss, and Jamal Murray is not going to play in the three series they play, 100% they'd have a chance to win the, win the championship. But, you know, let's talk about the Suns overall. I mean, campaign... 17 minutes a very good 17 minutes 10 points cam johnson 10 points and devin booker you know they might say that he was 8 of 21 he was 1 of 8 from 3 not very efficient but man d book in his first finals game he wasn't shying from the moment he was getting good looks he scored 27 points and he had some great passes with his left hand six assists for him Left hand, not easy to do that. Just whipping it across or whipping it to the corner. I thought Jay Crowder's defense was great. But again, that one round, and we talked about this in the Glorified Summer League last year, the one round in which Jay Crowder didn't play well is, what's it called? Was the finals last year. And so now he's, again, I'm not going to say he played badly, but offensively, You know, 0 of 8 to start, if you're a Suns fan, you don't want to see him, like, choking up in the finals with his his open shots. But, anyway... Great first win for the Suns. I thought Chris Paul in that pick and roll was maestro. Three balls, mid-ranges. He just he just he he loves that switch because he can create separation without having to burst off the dribble. And you'd figure that a guard getting a big on him, you would try to go by him. But that's not been Chris's style. Even with the Clippers, that wasn't always his style. He loves lulling the big man to sleep and sidestepping for that three or getting into that mid-range area. But a great first win for the Suns. I think DeAndre Ayton could be in the shot for a player of the game as well with 22 and 19. But I'll give it to Chris tonight or last night, 32 points, 4 rebounds, 9 assists, 12 of 19. He was very efficient as usual, 4 of 7 from 3. He was ready for his first finals game and ready for this moment. The one thing I'm going to say is I'm, I'm the reason why I'm not gun-ho, all-in on the Suns, rooting for them like they're my team, like let's say I am for England, which we'll get to in a second, because I'm just not looking forward to, look, I'm Chris Paul. I have a poster of him in my room. I will always be thankful of what he's done. But one thing I'm most protective of on this channel, and you guys know that, is basketball history and telling it the way it is. And the media has a job to promote the product of now. And they are going to spe- they're going to try to make it like LeBron top two all time type of scenario with Chris Paul if he wins this ring. They're going to try to make it seem like if you don't have him as a top five point guard of all time, then you're just wrong. And I'm going to tell you this right now, coming from a real historian of the game, that is not correct. Okay? It's all about your criteria. And there's a lot of great players that have played this game. And don't think it's Chris Paul wins one championship that makes him a top five point guard consensus. Absolutely not. It gives him a case. And I'm, again, a huge fan of his. So don't think I'm coming with this with hate or bias. I just know basketball history. Period. And the guys before the three-point line don't get their love. Simple as. Anyway, uh, the final from Phoenix, 118-105. to 105. I also want to say this about Drew Holiday. He just... Four of fourteen. He has to shoot better than that. Chris Middleton, 12 of 26. I thought that he was pretty decent. 29 points. Giannis, though, he played 35 minutes, which I definitely assume he'll play more as the series continues. And look, props to Giannis for going out there and giving it a go. But 20 points. And by the way, the 17 rebounds, I'm not I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say they lie, but watch that game and tell me how many of those rebounds you really noticed. How many of those rebounds he really had to fight for? Not like Ayton. Um, Aiden was getting, like, real rebounds. And I'm not saying Giannis got zero real rebounds, but Aiden was getting ones where he had to fight. He was getting everything in sight. Giannis, those rebounds, I mean, they didn't affect the game much. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's it for the uh, for the, the finals game. 118-105. Suns lead at 1-0. I'm not necessarily looking forward to the next game. It's just going to happen because I just don't think this series is the most exciting in the world. But I'm excited for Suns fans, you know? And I'm excited that the winner, it will be a big occasion. Let's... Talk about the Euros. So the Euros. I'm gonna start with today's game: England against Denmark at Wembley, of course. So the pressures on England. Uh, I thought that they came on the first 15 minutes and looked pretty good going at them. Raheem Sterling got in the box, cut inside at a solid chance, shot it weak, and then, um, then uh, for the, between like 10 minutes to 25 minutes, it became the Danish. That started to get ease into the game. They saw that England didn't get their early goal. They started feeling a little bit better about themselves. And that's when the crowd started going quiet. And then all of a sudden, Luke Shaw gives away a, a cheap free kick. And Damsgaard. Wow. What a strike that was. I mean, and on the replay, it looked even better. Top of the goal smash. Unbelievable. Hit by Damsgaard, and look, he plays for Sampdoria right now. I don't know if that's gonna last because this tournament, he has really, he has looked good. He has looked real good. Um, but yeah, Denmark go up one nothing, and then England do respond well though. They really responded, uh, trying to go at, go at Denmark. But here's one thing I'll say: some observations I made. So Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips are not exactly the most creative types in the world. Obviously, Declan Rice is a holding midfielder, so his job is to just protect the back line, and uh, he doesn't give the ball away much. And I thought he was really solid tonight. You know, getting the ball back in good areas, um, making good tackles, just being on top of things. Calvin Phillips, though, here's what I want to say about him. I've liked what I've seen from Calvin Phillips in this Euros, but one thing I'll say is, and you can, if you're a football fan. Soccer fan, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on this because obviously I don't have the same level of expertise playing the game as I do basketball. But I'm going to say this. I was taught, and by the great midfielders that I watched, Luka Modric, Iniesta, Pirlo, Lampard, Gerrard, you name it, that you know, as a center midfielder, you want to always be available for a pass. And Calvin Phillips, sometimes it looks like he doesn't even want the ball. Like, he'll just drift off into areas where you know that ball's not getting to him, and it forces England to play a little more sideways backwards. And I think that he's actually pretty good on the ball. I don't know why sometimes... There's times within the game where he looks like he wants the ball, but there's other times where it's just like he's making Declan Rice basically stand alone in that midfield, and he's playing a little bit further forward or just behind defenders, essentially. Not in between defenders, but behind them. And it makes Declan Rice want to play it backwards or whatever. But that goal... To get him back in the game, the own goal, Saka did well, put in a good ball. I think it was Harry Kane had got the hockey assist with a through ball. And Harry Kane, I thought, was great ever since that Germany goal. I mean, he, he's really just gotten into his form. You know, he spread the ball out wide, switched the play very well. And that's what he does for Spurs. If you watch him for Spurs, he comes deep. He switches the play. He made some great passes. I thought that he got in good areas. And I just thought that he was really good tonight, Harry Kane. And that was a great pass. Great ball in that uh, hockey assist. Saka whips it in the box. And for the second time in the game at that point, who was at the back post? Raheem Sterling. You know what I'm saying? And that guy has answered all the critics, as we talked about in the last episode with Jack. Every time, it's Raheem Sterling getting the chance. And before they went, I'm sorry, the third time in the game, because he had a chance right before then that he missed. And it was the third time's a charm. He, he would have, I would assume, put it in, but Simon Kier got the own goal, couldn't do much differently. But Raheem Sterling, fox in the box, he's always getting there. And that was just the beginning of the night that he had. Second half, after the first 15 minutes or so, um, that's when England really took over. or uh, Not took over, I should say, but they looked a little better at times. And I don't know, it was pretty even the second half. And then the last 10 minutes or so, England was really trying to push on. They brought Grealish on, they brought Foden on. And immediately, Foden started looking pretty lively. And the best chance, I think, of the second half was Harry Maguire's header. And I thought Harry Maguire was great, again. I mean, he's just been great in the tournament. Great for England, again, for the second straight tournament. And, you know, being commanding in the box, taking the ball from people, just... Just being in charge of his area, you know? Balls in the box. He was doing a good job handling them. He was even bombing forward a bit. A threat on set pieces as usual. And I thought that he was very good. Um, Kyle Walker as well. You You know what he brings. Sometimes he'll make a bonehead decision or two. But he finds a way to his pace is unbelievable. He tracks back. He darts backwards and recovers as well as anybody I've seen. And... I thought he was very good as well. And Shaw, with those overlapping runs, he got into some dangerous areas. Raheem Sterling and him were linking up well on that left-hand side with Raheem holding it up, waiting for the overlapping run, and then sliding it to Luke Shaw for some grounded crosses. Sadly, he didn't connect on those, or they didn't score off any of those, but it was dangerous, and it was causing some problems. And then in the extra time, I think England really dominated. Completely dominated. They were creating chances. And Raheem Sterling, I mean, I have to say, the amount of stamina that dude has... Like, this man, until minute 120, minute 105, he runs the most of maybe anybody all game. And then he still has the energy to try to take players on, which he was doing a lot more in this game than in other games. And just running constantly, making runs, taking players on, hitting bursts of speed. Mind you, 100 minutes on a full-size pitch. And he's not, like, a center back, like, who's most, like, static a lot of the game. He is making moves. Like, his physical fitness is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, you know, you look at the... um, His injury history doesn't have too big an injury history as well. I mean, he's just a great athlete overall, Raheem Sterling. And obviously, he was the one that created the pen. I have to say, I didn't agree with the decision. It's going to be controversial for years and years to come. But he went down easily. And here's the thing. I know Raheem Sterling's game well. I've been watching him now for... Eight years, he has a tendency to go down easily in the box. I mean, he does. But he also has a tendency to take players on, get by them, and get into dangerous areas in the box that force defenders and officials to be in tough positions. And that's exactly what he did tonight. And Raheem Sterling, he was my man of the match. I mean, you can go with Kane. You can go with maybe Maguire. Um, But I thought Raheem was just constantly taking players on, getting in great areas, and he just had an amazing tournament. And obviously, here's the thing. I don't love the decision, obviously, as I said. However, I think that it's good that the team that was dominating the game at the time and looked the more likely to score got it. And I think that England deserved it to make this finals. You know, I really do. I don't think they were spectacular, but I think they deserved to win. And obviously, Kane misses the pen. Casper Schmeichel makes a great save, but it comes right to Kane on the rebound. He puts it in. Scenes at Wembley, and Denmark didn't look like they had any legs after that. But England... It's coming home, huh? For the first time since 1966, the three lions are in a cup final. Obviously, the first time in my life and at home. This is the chance to win. They just like with Chris Paul in the NBA finals. There has never been a better chance for England to win a, a tournament and to be at home. They've basically been like hosted this tournament if we're being real. They got to do this and Italy has looked the better team in my opinion in the terms of the tournament, but not by too much, especially after that last game. I think that England has a really good shot to do it and only one goal conceded and that being off a set piece. I'm just interested to see do they go back five? Do they try to go at them? Do they play it a little more conservatively? Southgate's done a great job. Uh, and by the way, to Denmark, it was an amazing tournament for them. A great story. Um, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and they have to be proud of the way they played and the way they finished. But England and Italy, two footballing powerhouses in a final on Sunday afternoon, American uh, Sunday afternoon, a Sunday night at Wembley in London. The scenes if England win. Oh, my God. We may have to have Jack back on the podcast if they win, but I'm so happy for the English side. I've seen plenty of disappointments in my life with them, most notably the Iceland defeat five years ago in the Euros. And then, of course, 2014, failing to make it out of the group stage. Wow. Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, Luke Shaw, Declan Rice, Saka. And I thought Foden was really good when he came on. Looked creative, looked dangerous on the ball, made some good passes. You know, Foden, we know how technically good he is. He just hasn't shown it much in the tourney so far. And he's had some good moments today. Um, But that's overall what I got for the England game. For the Italians, you know... I thought that Spain really impressed me that first half. And a special shout-out, man. Pedri. That kid is younger than me by, like, five years. 18. Playing in a semifinal. Looking like the best player on the pitch. That kid is the real deal. You know what I'm saying? So, by the way, shout-out to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Back-to-back Stanley Cups. That hasn't happened in my lifetime, I believe. Two back-to-back Stanley Cups. So, if you're a hockey fan, drop a comment in in it and fact-check me on that one. When was the last time a team went back-to-back? Um... So, congrats to Tampa. Uh, Tampa Bay having a year, huh? The Lightning and the Bucks. But anyway, let's get back to the football. Um, wow. You know, I thought Pedri was fantastic. And Barcelona got a, got a keeper there. They got a really good one there. Um, and then, of course, you know, I thought that the second half, the Italians responded a little bit better. But And Chiesa, I mean, he's just been phenomenal all tournament long. And that beautiful, I mean, that was like, you know, playing FIFA, you hit the finesse shot top corner right there, curling that shit. Wow. Chiesa has been brilliant. And then, you know, Spain responded with Morata, of all people, scoring a goal. A nice little one-two with, I believe, Danny Omo it was. And, I, you know, Danny Omo had his moments in this tournament that was bad, that were poor. But I actually was pretty impressed with him. I think he looked pretty good technically. He likes to take players on. And I don't know. I think he's a pretty young player from what I know. I could be wrong there. But I think that he has a solid future ahead of him. And I think that he'll probably be featured in, depending on his club form over the next couple of years, I think he could be featured in the Spanish team. Yeah, he's only 23 years old. Um, Plays for Leipzig. Yeah, he's a pretty solid player. Um, But he skied the penalty. He skied the penalty, which blows. But, you know, big equalizer. Marata getting on the score sheet. They go to extra time. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't get to see the, like, to really pay attention to it. But it was pretty even. We go to the penalty kicks. And uh, Marata. I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I'm a Chelsea fan. I was there for that 2018 season, watched all the games or watched most of the games, almost you know, 25 20 to 25 minimum. And I just knew that when Mirrato was stepping up to the spot um uh he's stepping up. By the way, oh yeah. Okay, so the Penguins went back to back. You're right. It has happened in my lifetime I'm sleeping. 2015 and 16. You're right. Anyway, but um I just knew Mirrato was going to miss. I just know that he's As talented as he is, I think that he, the big moment, sometimes it gets to him. And he missed the penalty. was very poor. And as an ex-Chelsea player, missed the pen. And a good save by uh, Donnarumma, who is a beast. And he's a little younger than me, I believe. But just like I knew Morata was going to miss the pen, I knew the man stepping up next was going to hit the pen. Jorginho. You know he's going to hit that little hesitation before he shoots. And it was just a beauty. And Italy... You know, Spain really could have made a case for themselves on that day that they deserved to go through. But they had a very solid tournament given their expectation going in. I don't think people really had as much of a high expectation on on Spain as in previous tournaments. But I think the Italians deserve to be in this final. And I think the final is what it deserves to be, Italy, England. And I think that a lot of people were picking this after the first game or two. And I'm so excited for it. And by the way... Argentina-Brazil final, guys. Copa América. I mean, for the first time since 2007, they're matching up in a final. And I saw that semifinal in 2019. That was the first time I got to witness a Brazil-Argentina game in a cup because 07 I didn't watch. (laughs) To have it in a final, Messi getting a chance, (coughs) one more chance, to win an international tournament in front of Brazilian soil against the Brazilians. The all-time rival of the Argentines. What a moment it would be for him. It would solidify his legacy completely. Messi, if he was to win that. I don't want to hear anything about the uh, lack of an international trophy if he wins this. Because this Argentina team is not that good. I mean, I think they have great players, but you know how Argentina's managed. Always controversial people on the bench. Brazil's better. Even though they haven't looked great in this tournament, I still got Brazil. I mean, I think they're the best team in the tournament. And I think by a distance, especially on paper, um, but Neymar didn't win the Copa America last time. He wasn't on the team. Let's see if he can do it here. But I'm all in for Argentina. I want to see Messi do this. I'm not even a Messi, a Messi fan like that. Like, I don't dislike him at all. I actually really love, I love Messi. But like, I love him because I respect his greatness so much. Not because I root for him like that. I'm rooting for him here because it's like, the dude gets shedded on for not winning an international trophy in an 11-man sport. Not a five-man game like basketball. 11-man when Chile puts three guys on him on every touch. Uh, so, I'm excited. Saturday afternoon, I'll definitely be coming live to you before then on game... T- I'll, g- I'll probably be going live tomorrow after game two. But, man, I'm so excited for these soccer finals on... I mean, obviously, I'm not really looking for... The NBA finals is whatever right now to me. Like I'm, You know how I feel about the NBA right now. And, you know, my team was the only thing that was keeping me invested. But I'm still going to do the content and still watch the finals, you know. I still love basketball, but... I'm looking forward to these. that England-Italy. Oh, my God, guys. I have two strong-rooting interests here. England always because of my family. But just for this particular weekend, Argentina, I really want Messi to do this. And But, man, two strong-rooting interests. Germany. I'm sorry, no. England-Italy at Wembley in the Euro final. And then Argentina-Brazil in Copa América. No fans, which bodes very well for Argentina because Brazil would have a packed house there with the fans and more pressure on Messi. So I think that, obviously, I don't think the fans are the ones that phase him, but the moment may phase him. Uh, And I think it's just going to be advantageous for Argentina to not have fans there. I still think Brazil's going to win, but I'm hoping for the best. Anyway, that's it for me tonight, guys. Make sure you leave a comment. Make sure you leave a like on the YouTube video. Subscribers on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, let me know what you thought of the episode. And let me know what you want to see going forward. I have a lot of history content planned this summer. And guests are going to be coming on more frequently. Some some officials, some dime dropper featuring, some not. Just my friend guests that could give a different side of things to the show. But I'm definitely going to try to be on the lookout and on the hunt for more guests, bigger profile names. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you tomorrow probably.